Now, when Paul was in Antioch of Pisidia, he preached what I've always considered one of the greatest sermons that he ever preached. And in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, at verse 37, and let me begin reading there, because this is very important. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets, Behold, ye despise us and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And therefore, Paul shuts them in the one way to God. That is by faith, he says. This is the only way. And the message is the message that Christ died for our sins, According to the Scriptures, he was buried, he rose again the third day. Now, what do you do with it? You accept him as your Savior. You trust him, and you walk by faith and not by law. Oh, we've got so many today that are putting us back under not only the Ten Commandments, but they're putting us back under a little legal system that they've worked out and their rules and regulations for the family and for the husband and for the wife and all that. My friend today, may I say to you, if you have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, then you love him. And his question to you is, if you're his child, do you love me? Now, if you love him, that's going to work out the problems. It's going to enable you to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll have joy in your heart. It'll make you a better husband, make you a better wife, make you a better child, make you a better workman where you work, make you a better man wherever you are or whoever you are. You walk by faith, and one of these days we'll walk right into his presence, and we'll be in his presence forevermore. May I say to you, the important thing then will be love, you see, because faith will now have eventuated into actually sight, and we see him. How wonderful this is here. And the important thing that this man, you see, had to say is, I've gone to my watchtower, and I'm going to wait. I'm trusting the one who does have the answer. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that seek him. And will you notice, the just shall live by faith. My friend, today, God is asking you to come to him. And the only way you can come to him is to come by faith. Now, what about the other crowd? Well, he says here, his soul's not upright in him. He's wrong. Now he's going to spell out in five woes here. And the first woe we have at verse 5, and it 
is drunkenness. And this is the way God's going to judge Babylon. And then in verse 9, we see the second woe. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness. Covetousness was the great sin of Babylon as well as drunkenness. And then verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. May I say to you how horrible they treated the people that they took into captivity. That was the thing that they were noted for, their brutality. And read the 137th Psalm, and you'll see how they had treated the children of Israel. And then we come to the fifth one. It's down in verse 19. Woe to him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone arise. And idolatry was the great sin of Babylon also. They had five great sins. You see, pride causes man to go off in these directions. It leads him to drink. It leads him to be covetous. He wants more. It leads him to be cruel and brutal, actually, in his dealings, and it also makes him an idolater. Now, somebody's going to say, but there's nobody worshiping idols today in our country. My friend, there are great many folk that are worshiping idols today in this country. I was in Dallas, Texas, and I noticed it's there the same as it is here. On the freeway early of a morning, it was bumper to bumper. Where are the people going? Why, they were going into the temple of trade, the marts of trade, to the marketplace. And they were going there to give themselves for what? They were worshiping the almighty dollar. How many men and women today are worshiping sex? How many today are worshiping pleasure? How many today are worshiping, well, right now, everybody seems to be trying to become an actor or an actress of some sort or another. Believe me, they sure worship here in Hollywood. They worship this sort of thing. And many a woman gives her body. Many a man gives his life and his honor. May I say to you, my friend, what happens Well, a soul that's lifted up, filled with pride, puffed up. This is the direction you're going. This will be your outcome. This will be your end. A lost eternity. The just shall live by faith. And we can afford to wait today. Let's just stay in our watchtower. God's got the answer. I look about me today at a world that I actually think it's gone crazy. And people say, my, well, what's the outcome? I don't know what the outcome is. I think a revolution is ahead. I believe that terrible days are ahead. I don't mean to be a gloom caster, but what other conclusion can you come to as you look around you today? And you say, well, you must be a pessimist. I'm not, friends. I'm an optimist. Glorious days coming. Why, we walk by faith today. We're not walking by sight. I look around me at these things. They're going to change some of these days. We've got one that's going to be the changer. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming to the earth to establish his kingdom. And believe me, he's going to change things. 
But before he comes, he's going to take his church out of the world. When? I don't know. I'm just here in the watchtower looking out, walking by faith. Are you walking by faith today, friends? makes all the difference in the world. It'll not only change your life, it'll change your home, change your entire outlook. Now, we spent most of the hour on verse 4. And I'm really not through with it. I guess we'll never be through with it exactly because it runs through the Scripture and it puts down the great scriptural basis of God's salvation. It begins, Behold, his soul that is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, it presents to us here two streams of humanity. Or, this is the verse that divides humanity into two great groups. One group are living by their own sufficiency, their own strength, their own ability. They walk by pride. They feel like that they are acceptable to God. In fact, some of these folk give me the impression that God's really lucky to get them, and he doesn't really have them, but they think that he does. And this is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. It's a way of destruction. And here he just leaves it as the man lifted up in pride, his soul's not upright in him, and it leads to destruction. The Lord Jesus Christ presented these two ways, and the other is the way of faith. The just shall live. He receives life by faith. He walks by faith, and he moves into eternity by faith. And not by his own ability, but on the strength and ability of another. Now, the Lord Jesus put it like this, "'Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction.'" Our Lord really put the climax on it, and he says, "'And many there be which go in thereat.'" Now, this is called the broad way, but if you'll notice, What you have here is a funnel. It's wide where you enter, but you come out in just one place. That's destruction. And that's the story of the sinner. It's like going down a canyon. And here in the West, I've been hunting in quite a few places where you start up a very wide spot in the desert, and you begin to move up into a canyon. And as you move up into the canyon, it gradually gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And that is the picture here. It's wide at the entrance, but it narrows down to destruction. Now, the Lord Jesus, though, said concerning the other, because straight is the gate. That gate is very narrow. It's narrow in the sense that The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now, it's narrowed down to him, to a person. He is the way. He doesn't show the way. He is the way. You either have Christ or you don't have him. You either trust him or you don't trust him. It hasn't anything in the world to do 
with going through a ceremony or making pledges or going forward in a meeting or that type of thing at all, or even joining the church. It has to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the reason it's a pretty straight gate, by the way. God has the world shut up to a cross, and he says, what will you do with my son that died for you? And straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, wait just a minute. This now is an inverted funnel. You go in at the small end. Christ is the way. But as you enter, it doesn't narrow down. It widens out. The Lord Jesus said, I've come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly, wide, and the liberty that there is for the Savior. Take today two classes of folk. Here is a man, and we're coming to that in this particular passage of Scripture. He begins to take a drink. He says to his Christian friend, ah, you're narrow-minded. You're quite limited. I can drink or I can let it alone. That's what my dad used to say. My dad died when I was 14. He was a heavy drinker. Well, he was never an alcoholic, but he sure did drink heavily. And as a boy, I talked to him and I asked him why he didn't give it up. He said, son, I can give it up any time I want to. Do you know what his problem was? He didn't want to. That was it. And had he lived, I'm confident the day would have come when he'd found himself in a pretty narrow canyon and he would have only one alternative, and that's to take another drink. Now, the Christian that was so narrow, he went in a narrow gate. He trusts Christ as his Savior. But did he get to the place where it narrowed down? No, he's living, friends. If you really want to live, you come to Christ. That is the wonder and the glory of this verse here. No wonder the foundation under Romans, it's the foundation under Galatians, it's the foundation under the epistle to the Hebrews. Now, this is the thing that God had said to this man. He said to Habakkuk, you have certain questions, and I've answered them for you. Hasn't been quite satisfactory to you. But you can trust me. You can trust me that what I've done in the past has been right. What I'm doing right now is right. And you can trust me that what I'm going to do in the future is going to be right. And that I am in control. Now, friends, with that in mind, I'd be very frank with you. Let me ask the question. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who can bring a charge against us if we've trusted Christ? And all things do work together for good to those that love God, to those called according to his purpose. Now, he says, therefore, to this man Habakkuk, I will take care of the Babylonians in time. Now, he puts down the basis on which he's going to judge them. God says, you just give me time and I'll take care of them. I'm going to use them to judge my people. But then I will judge them, and I will judge them on a righteous, holy basis. 
and I will be justified in what I do. Now, we have given to us here five woes. And this is just about as systematic and as orderly as anything that you'll find in the Scripture. And I'm told that the next two chapters, this chapter and chapter 3, are like a psalm. Each one of them is a psalm. In fact, it could be set to music. Now, will you listen to him? Verse 5, he says, Yea, also, because he transgressed by wine, he's a proud man. Now, he's talking about the Babylonians. And they, at this moment, are not the great nation that they became later on at the time of Daniel. Now, his first charge is they transgress by wine. And the Babylonian, he's a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as Sheol, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto himself all nations, and heapeth unto himself all peoples. Now, Babylon became the first great world power. That was what they were after, and that's what they became. That's been the philosophy of great many nations of the world. They've worked on that basis, that they could rule the world. And I'm afraid that after World War II, we got that insane notion also. And we stuck our nose into several countries where we should have kept our nose at home, where it belonged. But nevertheless, this has been the fallacy of the nations of the world. And this was the fallacy of Babylon. They had a philosophy that they intended to rule the world. They felt they were capable of doing it. They were lifted up by pride. And they were guilty of this sin of drunkenness. Now, I've had this up several times before. It was in Amos and Joel, and it was in Nahum. And now here again, it's in Habakkuk that this is what brings nations down. Nahum makes it clear that it was drunkenness that brought Assyria down. It was drunkenness that caused God to send the northern kingdom into captivity. Now, Habakkuk says it's drunkenness that will cause God to destroy, absolutely destroy, the great Babylonian kingdom. In other words, drunkenness works out its own destruction, when they become a nation of drunkards. Now, that is the thing that characterized Babylon. And if you would read the fifth chapter of Daniel, we were there not too long ago. You remember Belshazzar made a feast, and that was the night that Babylon fell. Why? They were drunk. It was a night of revelry and drunkenness. They felt perfectly safe. That is the thing that brought Rome down. I took a group of people into a place many of them said they'd never even heard of before, Ostia, that's down about 15 miles from Rome. It's on the seacoast, down by the Tiber River. That was the playground of the Romans. And the ruins there reveal that the Romans gave themselves over there to revelry and drunkenness, was the important thing that brought them down. It was the main thing. 
And this is the thing that'll destroy any people. It'll destroy our nation today. I have been in hotels and motels and inns across this country, and most of them depend for their existence on conventions. And a convention, as I have observed them, is a time of great revelry and drinking. I've been in Dallas when there were two conventions going on at one time where we stayed. And on the way to the service in the evening, we passed two big rooms filled with a cocktail party. Now, these are two reputable companies in this country today, but that's the way they carry on their business. Now, how long will this nation last like that today with 10 million alcoholics, 50% of our accidents caused by drunkenness? How long can a nation exist like that? Now, God says that is your problem. Your drunkenness, it's led to pride and made you like Sheol. You want to gobble up everything. You remember back in the book of Proverbs, in verse 15 of chapter 30, the horse leash hath two daughters crying, Give, give! There are three things that are never satisfied. Yea, four things say not. It's enough. The grave, and that's Sheol, by the way and the barren womb, and the earth is filled with water. So that here he uses that same expression that as Habakkuk does, who enlargeth his desire as Sheol. Never satisfied. Keep expanding their borders. Keep moving out. And never, never satisfied. Today we are living in a country where each year business must be a little bit better than the year before. And churches are caught up in that today. I'm not sure but what those of us in radio are caught up in it. We want this year to be better than the year before. What kind of a thing is this that's going on today? The church must take in more members this year than it did last year. The budget must be bigger than last year. And if it's not, believe me, we're failing. That is, we think we're failing like Sheol, like the grave that never has enough. And today, that is the thing that drives many of us on. And this is the thing that brought Babylon down. God says, I'll judge them for these things. Now, he spells out five of these woes specifically. Will you listen to him? Verse 6. Now, shall not all these take up a parable against him and a taunting proverb against him and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. And that apparently has to do with signing a pledge. It's one thing to buy property and pay for it. It's another thing to take it by force. And this first woe is a taunting proverb against Babylon because they were seizing by force that which was not theirs as a nation. And this is God's taunting proverb against this nation for wanting more and taking that which does not belong to them. You see, God has made it today that man by the sweat of his brow is going to make his living. And friends, if you're not earning your living by the sweat of your brow, 
Somebody else is doing it for you because you can't get it any other way. And Babylon's way was that they wanted somebody else to do the work, and they by force would take it. And that is the first woe. God says, I'll judge you for that. And he wants you to know that he was just and righteous when he did it also. Verse 7, Shall they not rise up suddenly? That shall bite thee and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booty unto them. God says, don't you know that whatsoever a man sows that, he's going to reap. You're going to take it away from somebody else. Somebody's going to take it away from you. In fact, the same crowd, the media Persians, became a great nation also. And then they took Babylon. Gabrias, by subtlety, that night channeled the Euphrates River back out of the canal through which it was flowing through the city. And then his army flowed into the city, and he destroyed it. And again, you have this awful thing. You know, man is bloodthirsty. Man is covetous. God says, verse 8, "...because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee, because of men's blood and for the violence of the land of the city and all that dwell therein." And that, by the way, brings us to the next woe that we have here. Verse 9, "...woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness." Now, I think that you can covet the best gifts. I think that a believer ought to have a desire to want to please God. That kind of covetousness. But this is an evil covetousness. That is, covets that which doesn't belong to him covets his neighbor's property, his neighbor's wife, his neighbor's wealth, covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast plotted shame to thy house by cutting off many peoples, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Remember the Lord Jesus when they tried to get him, the religious rulers did, tried to get him to quiet that crowd that had come from Galilee that was singing Hosanna to the Messiah. Why, he said, why, if these would keep quiet, the stones are going to cry out. And in other words, this is something that's going to get out. You can be sure of that. That brings us to the third woe, verse 12. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, and establish a city by iniquity. And this has to do with murder, and pillage, and slaughter, and violence. That is the method that Babylon used of destruction. And it's the method of warfare, of course. You know, mankind, if you get off and look back at him in his history you have to come to the conclusion that he must be insane, the way that he's lived on this earth, the way that he acts. And actually, he is insane, insane with sin, a sinful nature, so that he can't even direct his paths. So even that which he thinks is right, and there's never been a war fought that they didn't think it was right, and Always he comes to the conclusion that he's doing the righteous and the right thing. May I say to you, 
This is God's condemnation of Babylon. But you can stretch that out and bring it up to date and put it down on any modern nation you want to, and it'll fit just like a glove.